and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogel. My guest this week is Jean-Marc Pizzapia. Now Jean-Marc is the founder and lead singer of the Canadian band The Box, who was big in Canada in the 80s. I first discovered them back in the mid-90s when their success was pretty much done living in Buffalo at the time and having the Canadian station kind of bleed down into the States, discovered them for their song Walk Away, they had hits closer together, amazing songs, and I'll admit, I broke the law, couldn't buy their music in the States, so I had to download some of their songs via Napster, that's how long ago that was. Since then, been able to get their catalog, Sean Mark talks about forming the band, Originally, he was in Men Without Hats before the safety dance blew up, formed the box, had massive hits. They broke up for a little while, and he reformed a new version of the box, which actually has been together longer than the original version. Sean Mark talks all about that. Really nice guy. And when I started this podcast over two years ago, never in my wildest dreams did I expect to talk to Sean Mark. And it was a pleasant conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. John Mark, um, I first discovered the box, ironically, the mid-90s after you guys had broken up, I heard uh, Walk Away on the radio, one of the Canadian stations, I think it was probably Niagara Falls or something like that, played it and it bled into Buffalo where I was living at the time and I was immediately hooked. And unfortunately back then, no iTunes, no Spotify, I don't even think Amazon was around then, so I had to basically just wait until I randomly heard it on the radio to put a cassette tape in and hit, you know, hit record to record some of your songs. So eventually, I was able to buy your catalog. But um, it's—I uh, really enjoyed what I heard back then, and I still do now. And it's funny because that song you heard was the very first single we put out, "Walk Away," back in 1982.
probably still my favorite song. Really? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, did you ever shoot a video for that? I didn't see anything on YouTube for it. No, we haven't, because back in the day when we recorded the, and released that first single, videos didn't even exist, or at least they were at their uh, infancy. And in fact, the second um, single that we put out is a track called Must I Always Remember. That was the first video that we shot, and that must have been early 1983, I believe, something like that. So that's the reason you didn't see a video for Walk Away. <clears throat> okay, yeah, totally makes sense. Uh, the videos that you did uh, do, did you enjoy making them? Actually, the first one was a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> we had it uh, directed by someone uh, we didn't know, and uh, and it ended up be being very corny. And that's the reason I decided to direct all the other videos after that. And I told the record company, look, if we're going to throw out $12,000 out the window, I might as well do it myself. And uh, the third, the second video that we uh, made was one on a track called L'Affaire du Moutier, English title, Say to Me. It was a police story inspired from a real event that happened in France in the early 80s. And I wanted to recreate the entire film noir, you know, this kind of police series movie, right. uh, French style. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I directed it myself. And uh, from there on... Uh, the record company, you know, was confident that I could do videos, and I, I recorded them all after that, except for one. On the 14th of October, very early in the morning, the results of a crime were found in the stables of Le Père Choupon. The old man had discovered, to his absolute dismay, the dislocated body of Elizabeth Dumoutier. So, the police was called in. I was handed the inquiry. Upon arriving on the scene, some photographs were shot. A couple of small-time journalists were rising their fists among the crowd, shouting, experts to conclude. Austin had been the victim of a strange case of split personality. The trial neared its end, and though the facts had been exposed, the crowd still wanted blood, or they were in for big surprise. La coup. 
and, and with that song, you had um, kind of like the voiceover. I guess like the, exactly, yeah. Narrator. I was just narrating the story, right. and there were exchanges. Uh, it's as if you were listening to the soundtrack of a movie. Right. That was the idea behind the song, and it uh, and it was a murder story. And the record company said to me, "You're nuts if you think we're going to put that out as a single on the radio. You're going to be kidding." And I said, no, we do it. It's going to be original. People are going to love it. And it became a big hit, at least here in Canada. Right. And you, you mentioned, like, you know, you know, having hits in Canada. Like, I did not know the box back when you guys were popular in Canada because no mention in America. Was there ever an attempt for you guys to kind of, like, crack the American market? Well, actually, uh, the irony is that at that time we were signed with Polygram, uh, which happens to be a German label, and right. uh, we were distributed all over Canada. And for some reason, after putting one hit single after another here in Canada, those guys couldn't um, um, take us out of the country. And so I decided that we would switch from Capital EMI, uh, from um, uh, Polygram to Capital EMI, and then we had a deal in uh, uh, in Los Angeles with that label. And then we got released in the States, but that wasn't before the fourth album. And we had a big hit in, the, in Europe, too, a song called Temptation. Right. Uh, but all of that went uh, pretty much under the radar because at, by that time, uh, the band had been together for 12 years, and we had been relentlessly touring. And it was a classical case of, uh, of a lemon being uh, uh, squeezed to the last drop. So when the band uh, actually died, um, the first version of the band anyway, around 1993, we had just been released in the States. Oh, okay. So that's why you never heard about us. But there's a lot of people in northern New York who actually caught CFNY, which was a, a big radio station from Toronto. Right. So that area knew about us because of the bleed uh, from uh, CFNY over to uh, northern U.S., but that's about it. After that, it was a bit too late. Right. Yeah, that's probably like that's probably the station that I, I heard you guys on. They had, like, I wouldn't a, be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They used to have like kind of like a rewind show like every night where you'd hear those show, you know, the, the songs. And I've interviewed a lot of Canadian artists that, quite frankly, I didn't know of back when they were popular in Canada. You know, I interviewed you know Lawrence Gowan, who now lead singer of Sticks. All his, right. all his, uh, you know, uh, solo work. It's fantastic, but it was never released in the States. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really unfortunate how, like, close, you know, the countries are in, you know, proximity, but yet it's like, you know, mile, a million miles away. It's actually a, because of a technical reason. Uh, the error that most Canadian artists make is to sign with a Canadian label right. or, or a, um, um, a Canadian office of a foreign label. And what happens is that when you want to get released outside, let's say in the States, uh, then the United States is going to only make uh, 50 cents out of every dollar sold. So it's not very interesting for them. So the reason uh, they, um, they kind of won't lose sleep over you is that they know they're only going to have half of the money that they could if they were signed if you were signed directly to them we didn't know that back then but if we had known that i can assure you that i would have signed direct with capital emi in los angeles instead of signing through capital emi in toronto and then right. be released in the us it's a technical thing it's very boring i'm sure yeah. that your audience doesn't give a damn <laughs> but it, it it explains a lot of things right yeah no it's it, it's unfortunate and um it's, this is probably the only, I guess, plus of going to college up in Buffalo, besides you know the you know the wings and the beer was being able to discover such great Canadian music. <laughs> the wings and the beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, but even before the box, you were in a band that I'm sure everyone knows of, uh, Men, Men Without Hats, and yep. um, yeah, but you you, uh, you left on the box before they hit it big, right? That's right. In fact, I I left just before the Safety Dance became the big international hit it was. However, uh, we had the same management uh, at that time, and that helped a lot because it opened a lot of doors. In fact, uh, on our show that we do now, we do a cover of the Safety Dance as a wink-wink 
to our brothers in the, in Men Without Hats. So that was very helpful, you know. Right. It's a, it, and and uh, I never regretted uh, starting the box at that time because the box became immensely successful in Canada, and we thought it was only a matter of time before it went out on the, in the rest of the world. Little did I know that it was I was going to have to wait four albums. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ivan Elisinger is an interesting fellow, to say the least. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very I... talented music writer. Very talented songwriter. I mean, just just look at the the first sentences of the safety dance. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind because your friends don't dance. And if they don't dance, well, there are no friends of mine. I mean, just with that first verse of the song, I knew that he was going to laugh his way to the bank right there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, even that video, too, is, is pretty yeah. clever as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Growing up, like, who were some of like, your influences? In the 70s, well, it's, it's, it's odd because as, as a kid, as a 10-year-old, um, I was influenced by my dad who listened to all sorts of music uh, ranging from Gregorian chants to classical to jazz to big band. And so I would sit there uh, with a pair of headphones that my, my dad had just bought. I mean, those were new at the time. I'm right. talking you know, the year mid-60s, and I would just sit in a chair there and listen with the with the headphones on to the records that my dad bought, uh, Miles Davis, uh, 1960s recordings, um, like I said, Gregorian chants and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I had a very broad musical influence from all of these kinds of music. However, in the 70s, my main diet was progressive rock. I was just in love with uh, bands from England, such as Genesis, Yes, and um, and these other guys, and uh, and that was a big influence. Although in the 80s, when we started making music, uh, doing progressive was totally out of the question. Right. The genre was completely passé, and the radios wouldn't play it, and so you needed to be pop if you wanted to make it in, on the scene. However, take a song like La Faire du Moutier, for example, that murder song that that I was murder story I was telling you about just a minute ago. Right. This was this was rooted in the storytelling type of thing of the of the progressive music that I listened to when I was uh, when I was a teenager because, you know, telling a story was a mainstay of the diet of progressive rockers of that time, especially bands like Genesis. So that was a big influence and then in the 80s it was the Police. Right. I thought that that was a band that really reinvented the wheel. Uh, everything they did was special, uh, um, uh, starting with the fact that they recuperated reggae uh, yeah. to put it into a pop form that was very efficient. And then Sting sang like nobody else. Right. Uh, Copeland, the drummer, uh, in, reinvented the way of playing drums. And, and e even that guitar sound uh, from Andy Summers was, was exceptional. It was, you know, it was new. And although you couldn't fit them into any particular kind of niche of music of the day, they weren't new wave, they weren't really punk, they weren't really anything. Uh, they they really were special because of that. And I thought, here's a good example of what needs to be done. Don't put yourself in a niche. Don't right. try and be in a particular genre of music because that's that's the best way to, to get, you know, to, to get drowned in the ocean of other bands that do the same kind of thing. So that was, a, I'd say that The Police was a big influence on me at that time, not because of their music, but because of their approach to music. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Now, like like you mentioned them, that they're, they're kind of hard to like, you know, like pinpoint, but yet it worked with them, you know, with millions and millions of fans. Do you think like a band like, the box where you started off Prague and I guess as the albums went on and went a little more pop, were you able to like maintain like that fan base? I suppose so, although it's difficult to say because see, um, uh, when the third album came around and our biggest hit, by the way, was a song called Closer Together, which was right. a commission. Together. 
by Lucan. Lucan is a society here in uh, in, in Canada that raises funds uh, to uh, combat leukemia, and um, they were putting they were putting a big campaign together for a fundraiser uh, with the Montreal Canadiens, the hockey team that had just won the Stanley Cup in 1986. Right. Yep. Um, they approached a lot of people on you know, on the Montreal scene to be part of that, and they handed to me the commission of actually writing two songs, one in French and one in English, uh, to be theme songs on that theme of being, you know, in, in the order, in the spirit of if we get together on this problem, we can solve it. And so I wrote Closer Together as a commission for them, nothing else. And I knew it was going to be this upbeat song and all that. But then the record company heard it and they said, it's such a hit, that thing, that we're going to put it on the third record and release it as the first single. And that's what happened. And it became this huge hit, uh, which was in a in a style of music that people weren't very much used uh, to hear from us. However, it was such a huge hit from coast to coast uh, that it was just unavoidable. And so, um, uh, on the contrary, instead of losing people who might have liked our more progressive style of music, such as that song, L'Affaire du Moutier, well, we gained a whole lot of people who didn't necessarily know us before. So it was right. a win-win. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, and that album's fantastic. Uh, I mean, you know, then there's also Ordinary People on there, and, like, one of my favorites, Crying Out for Love, which I absolutely love. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really fantastic album. You said, like, that kind of, I guess, "Quote unquote," made you like a mainstream thing, and that out—it's unfortunate because that album would have probably gone top ten in the U.S. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. If it had been released there, I'm sure that "Closer Together" would have been would have been just a, as big a hit in the U.S. as it was in Canada. It was just a matter of you know putting it out there, but we weren't, uh, like I said before, technically we weren't uh, right. set up to do that. So, and it's a shame because I'm sure it would have been a big hit. I mean, if a song is a big hit in Canada, there's no reason why it shouldn't be in the U.S. It's not like we're su- such different cultures. Of there are differences. But by and large, we're pretty much the same, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, were you a big hockey fan? No, not at all. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> no, not even to this day. Uh, but it was fun. I mean, you know, we we worked with the uh, with the players, and they were, uh, you know, all up in in flames because they had just won the Stanley Cup, and it was such a big event. And then we had these big happenings at the Montreal Forum, and uh, the Montreal Forum is the uh, the big arena where. Uh, uh, hockey games are held and that sort of thing, and so it was a big hype and it was a lot of fun. But no, I wasn't particularly uh, a big hockey fan, bizarrely enough, for a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you, you got you to keep that under wraps. Don't let anybody know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't say it that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, that album, like close together, there's so many other great songs. Um, what was like the follow-up like? Pleasure and the Pain was a little little different. Uh, yeah, the Pleasure and the Pain was an album designed uh, to fit the West Coast. Uh, that was uh, just about the time that we switched from Polygram to Capital EMI, and we had been signed to uh, Los Angeles, like I said before, and these guys really wanted us to sound like something they could sell. Right. And um, uh, it, I'm going to make us sound like sellouts right now, but that's exactly <laughs> what we did. Uh, right. we, I thought, look, uh, we haven't made it big yet. Uh, if we do what the, we're told, it's probably going to happen. And once it has happened, then we can do whatever the hell we want. Okay, sure. But now we need this big success. These guys are saying that the West Coast market is different, so let's do what they say. So we hired Martin Rushant who was a British producer who had been uh, just uh, who had just won a Grammy award for uh, Human League okay. and um and he was uh, at the top of his game and we hired him and we flew over to England and stayed over at his uh, studio for 5 months to record that album and it was uh, crafted according to the 
you know, what we thought we needed to do to uh, to invade uh, the West Coast market. Uh, that, I would say, was an error on our part because uh, a lot of people then, of our Canadian fans, uh, thought that we were selling out. And although some of the songs on that record were really, a, in my opinion, just as good, certainly Temptation and Inside yeah. My Heart... those great tracks but the record company insisted uh, on putting out one song that I thought was you know probably the lamest song on the record which didn't even uh, it wasn't even supposed to be there it's a track called carry on right um, and and it wasn't even supposed to be there and uh, it was kind of a reject but it was Martin Russian who said look we're here everything is set up let's record it and if you don't want to put it on the record don't put it on the record but that was a big big mistake because when the guys from the record company heard it they thought they had another another closer together in their hands because of the big hook that this right. song starts with you know with that carry-on business and so but it was an error because uh, record company people usually think in terms of money. Of course. They, they're not specialists into reaching into people's minds and hearts. They, they, they're not good at that. That's not their thing. And so you should never listen to a guy from a record company when he <laughs> says to you that this is the song we need to release as a, as a first single. I mean, yes, we have done some things to make sure that we fit the West Coast market, but... 
retaining uh, certain elements of, of the originality of the music and all that that we thought we needed and, and which you can clearly see in songs such as Temptation and Inside My Heart. But that one, Carry On, just didn't have it. So it bombed, and as you know, there there is not many chances of, uh, of redeeming yourself in that kind of market. If you if you bomb once, you're probably done. But then again, like I said, we could have you know we could have continued on and all that. But the band was so tired with uh, uh, constant touring and constant record company mistakes that at, at one point I lost half of the band coming back from California. So that was right. pretty much it from there on. Yeah, it's it's kind of ironic that you were performing, you know, like recording an album like in California, where most of the people won't even hear it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but it was a, it's a good thing too because if it was a blessing in disguise for me personally, because right. I had just had my second child, which uh, and I had uh, you know two young child very close together, uh, a year and a half apart, wow. and so I I I I had to stay home, yeah, and I could see them grow up. And I'm pretty convinced that if it weren't uh, for the fact that the band split at that particular moment, and if the band had become really successful, I'd probably be divorced by now. Right. But on the contrary, I've been with the same woman for 32 years. I've seen my kids grow. And personally, in my personal life, it's been a blessing. Because if I had been on the road all the time, I wouldn't have seen them. Uh, My wife probably would have left with someone else i don't know <laughs> but it as it happens uh everything fell uh, into place i started a a company doing music for ads and films and that sort of thing documentaries so i built a studio in my own house and i worked from my house and i did that for about 12 years and eventually we decided to put another version of the band together because i had constant pressure from the industry to reform and play right. And so I went to see the, the guys from the original lineup and, and, and asked them, would you like to do that? And they, they would have nothing to do with it. They wow. told me, are you kidding me? You're going back in that business? You're stupid or what? Don't you understand? So I said, yeah, well, look, I, I'm going to do it if you, do, if you guys don't want to do it. And then over the course of these 12 years, which, which, where I had been making music on, on the Montreal scene for all sorts of things, I met these guys. There are the actual lineup of the band. And by the way, we've been together now since 2005. So it's going to be 14 years that we're together, this new lineup. So we're two years older than the first lineup. Right. When um, when you guys, you know, the new lineup, I guess, you know, went out, performed, and you guys are going strong now, did any of the original members kind of reach out to you afterwards and say, maybe I want to join? No, they didn't. Uh, no, they didn't change their mind. But we were never in. Um, there were never any hard feelings. Okay. Uh, I kept very good contact with everybody in the band and the, fir- the, f- the first version of the band. And in fact, we even played a concert. Uh, I think it was three years ago. Another fundraiser, and I had some of the original members join in to play. So oh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. 
But uh, the big difference between the box back then and the box today is today we hit the scene because we want to. Back then we hit it because we had to. There's a big difference there. So it's a lot of fun to be on the road. Uh, We do the shows that we want to do, and it's not like you know we're in in the car for uh, months at a time in hotels and that sort of thing. So we just take it easy, and we do what we want to do. And, for example, I don't play in the winter because I know that you know, if I'm booked somewhere like Toronto, which is six-hour drive from Montreal where I live, who knows if there's going to be a snowstorm or something like yeah. that, and then I have to hit the road in those crummy conditions. I don't do that anymore. So it's a lot of fun to be out there and play. And then the audience, I mean, our audience is like 40 and over. And and also, we're beginning to see now it shows kids, 14, 15, 16, up to 20 years old, who have been raised to that music by their parents. Right. So you can imagine that for us it's a win-win because we go we go there and play for for these guys and and our show by the way is very family oriented right. and and we we now see that we have become completely cross generational and and that's a lot of fun it's a, it's a real gas yeah it's a shame that I was never able to you know see you guys and uh, you know hopefully somehow get up to Canada one day you know when you guys are performing. Uh, it's, uh, it'd be fantastic, but like the, the EP that you, you guys recently did, um, it's like more progressive. So kind of going back to your progressive roots. Uh, yeah, everybody says to me that. I, I, by the way, I'm the I'm the least well placed to see that sort of thing because I, I lack the uh, you know the distance to see it with some right. kind of objectivity. But when we released it, a lot of people said, "Well, this sounds very much like the first version of the band," uh, but uh, in a modern way, in a new way. So, yeah, uh, I guess you're right about that. But it's also an introspection into what the band used to be. For example, the song Hey Little Rockstar, um, it, it, it really talks about me when I was younger and when I was sitting in front of that white page trying to figure out what song, what, what, what I'm going to talk about in the next song. And so it's very, it, it, it was kind of um, an introspection on my past life with the band. And, uh, you know, but seen from the point of view of who I am today. What's like the songwriting process for you? Like, um, do you I mean, obviously you get things you know from real life, but is most of this stuff like personal? 
Um, good question. Um, I'd say that it comes from many places at the same time. Um, I know one thing for sure is if I don't have anything to say, I will not be writing songs. For example, I can spend a full year without writing a single line because I just don't have anything to say. Right. And then something will pop up. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to force myself into writing things that are, that are not part of my life. And then something is going to pop up, uh, whether it's on the political scene, whether it's uh, uh, an event, um, maybe even just a, a, a random event. Uh, L'affaire du Moutier was based on something just like that. It was a murder case that happened in, in France, like I said earlier. And it struck me that the, uh, uh, the murderer had been found not guilty on the basis of insanity. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, that, a, that a society could actually find, um, come to a conclusion like that, uh, it, it showed a degree of sophistication which, uh, which probably wouldn't have been even considered 50 years ago or 60 years ago. So that was, you know, a trigger for me to write about it. Uh, but if, like I said, if I don't have anything to say, I just won't write. So I'm, I'm not like, I'm not like pushing inspiration. If it comes to me, I'll do it. If not, I don't talk about it. Right. American politics have been uh, well. You see, for example, on that EP, uh, the song "Take Me Home." Yes, that is a reflection on uh, not only the American uh, political scene, but the worldwide political scene in the Western world these days. It's extremely interesting. Things aren't always what they seem to be. And magicians down the rabbit hole. One would have thought by now humanity would kind of figure out things as a whole. Air Canada, take me home, right across the wide, wide sky. Fly me to my love. It's not as if I had. Superstitious never take a break Wrapped up in politics and prophecies It leaves you wondering, hell, what will it take? Generations, maybe centuries Air Canada, take me home Right across the wide, wide sky very much into politics, although I don't discuss politics through the prism of the box. I stay out of it, but right. I'm very interested by it. I, I, I'm a political, uh, very, <laughs> I'm almost a freak. I just love it. Right. So I follow it very closely, and sometimes a song will be inspired by something that has to do with that. So, yeah, multiple sources. You know, it, it just depends if, if something is worthy of, uh, of being uh, underlined, I'd say. Right. No, and I, I, I totally respect that, whether, you know, whatever your affiliations are, that you don't use, like, the box as a platform. So I know a lot of artists do that. And No, I know. It, I think it's yeah. stupid for, for one reason, very simple reason. In any audience, you're going to have 50-50 split of, course. Yeah. Uh, of people who are on one side and the other, the other on the other side. 
Right. And it's, it's, it's totally unproductive to alienate yourself from half of your audience by coming out there with your political comments or and what you think is right or not. And the other thing is, and, and any reasonable pe- person can see that, is that whether you're a liberal or a, uh, a conservative or whatever, uh, there are foundations to both points of view. You know, right. it's not because you're one or the other that you're necessarily an idiot. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so, and and you need to respect the people on the other side of the aisle who don't think like you. Okay, that's that's as simple as that. But then again, to me, the the main reason is that I just don't want to alienate myself from half of my audience. So I keep <laughs> I, I make sure that the band keeps away from politics. Right. That's completely smart. And now, this day and age, where you know, if you don't agree with somebody, you basically, you know, you call them an idiot, you, you curse them out. And it, it's unfortunate where now you can't have a respectful debate on both sides. It's very unfortunate, but yeah. you're right. It's very much the case now. And I doubt it was even like that 50 years ago, uh, although I was a little bit too young to know. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, I live in a province here that has uh, a very big um, political cleavage due to the fact that a lot of um, half of the population of this province, Quebec, wants it to separate from Canada right. yeah. and yeah. become its own country. So you can be absolutely certain that I'm very aware of political uh, divisiveness and political polarity, you know, because here we've had it big time, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, and when you listen to people on both sides, they both have arguments that are just equally valuable. And uh, who am I to say that uh, uh, the guy on the other side is an idiot because of what he thinks? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. If people listen a little bit more to one another, even if they disagreed, um, yeah. you know, it would make a lot more sense. But it's 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 not heading that way, it seems. No, especially with, you know, the rise of social media where you, you can have a debate with someone where you're not really, you know, looking at them in person where you can kind of be a little more hurtful. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Social media is a, I call it a double-edged knife. And yeah, absolutely. It's it's extremely interesting to have it around because you know, you can you can really feel the pulse of the population. This is another thing that I'm very much addicted to is social media. Right. I'm on YouTube and Facebook all the time, and but because you can pulse, you can feel the pulse of a population by just scrolling down your uh, your Facebook feed. You can know exactly what people are thinking, and yeah. you can see uh, the extremes of points of view. But the pervert, perverted effect of that is that anyone with uh, with venom uh, to spit on anyone can just use it as a free platform, and that's a little bit of a. But hey, life is life. I mean, social yeah. media or not, <laughs> you know, nasty people have always been nasty. Of course, yeah, that's that's nothing new, definitely. Yep. Yeah. So, do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yeah, I was in the car. <laughs> I remember yeah. it like it was yesterday. I was in the car, and I knew that the song was coming up because the announcer had said so. Okay. And he said, uh, you know, stay tuned. After the commercials, the box is coming on. With uh, And I was so nervous, my guy. I was shaking like a, a dead leaf. Uh, I had my foot on the clutch, and uh, and my foot was just going tick, 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 like that. And I was yeah. afraid. I, I put it on neutral because I wasn't at a red light, and there was a Mercedes in front of me. And right. I thought, if I don't put this on neutral and my foot gets off the clutch, I'm going to run the Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember it very well, and I was uh, I was elated, really. Yeah. How about like the most like interesting place you heard one of your songs? The most interesting place that I heard one of my songs? Yeah, or like you know you're walking in the store and one of your songs popped up, or something, the dentist office, the elevator, or something like that. Well, yeah, that happens all the time, even now, because um, uh, a lot of radio stations play oldies. Right. Um, I'd say that it's uh, generally in, well, yeah, exactly. Like I'm at the dentist and I'm waiting to go in and there's right. a bunch of people around me and then one of our songs come come on and nobody seems to know, nobody seems to care, yeah. nobody looks at me, you know. Right. It's like, <laughs> that I think is spooky. That's fun. That's a lot of fun because, I, you know, you think to yourself, it's funny because these people seem completely clueless. I get recognized a lot, okay, right. but not nearly enough 
Uh, I mean, not nearly as often as I was when I was younger. And, um, and, and that's fun because I, I can see, I, I, I can enjoy that sort of thing where one of our songs come up and, and the, the rest of the people around me are completely clueless. You know, right. that's, that's really, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Now, the, like the songs you wrote, like, you know, maybe for your first couple albums, can you still relate to those songs? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, not only that, but we even love to play them live. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, our show is uh, basically the first half is a lot of newer stuff okay. uh, that we've been recording with the second uh, uh, lineup of the band in the last, I'd say, 15 years. And then the second half of the show is all the old singles, all of them. We play them all right. because I know that people want to hear them. Of but course. not only that, but they're a lot of fun to play. And uh, and some of them I still relate to perfectly, absolutely. Yep. Well, the old ones, like what's your favorite song to perform? Well, my favorite song ever is L'Affaire du Moutier. Okay. Um, because it has everything. It's right. original. It's uh, It's inventive. Uh, the theme I like a lot. Uh, there, are, uh, it's everything a pop song shouldn't be, and yet it became a big hit. And right. um, and it says, um, um, it tells a story. It has a, a a purpose. It has a punchline. It's got everything. I mean, it's one of those songs. It's a one in once in a career type of thing. You do one like that, and then after that, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying right. to do something better. I mean, I, I'm like you. I love a lot of the songs from the third album. Crying Out Loud for Love is a beautiful track. Closer together is fun, but it's fun. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not anything to write home about. Crying out loud for love is a lot more deep and um, and and personal, and and I like it a lot better. Uh, but when it when we hit the stage and we go and play, and by the way, you remember that song I said I didn't like from the fourth album called Carry On? Carry On, yeah. Well, we do it live, you know, because a lot of people love it. Right, exactly. And so we do it live, and although I don't like the song, I like playing it because it's, okay. it's got a lot of energy, and I know right, people yeah. love it. And so we do it live, and even if I don't like the song. So it just goes to say that uh, my preferences are not really relevant. Uh, some of the songs that I like best are certainly not the most popular. Right. However, I know what people want to hear, and I give them what they want. When we go out there and play, we play all the old hits, yeah. regardless of, uh, you know, what I think of them. 
Right. Well, now you're you're a smart performer. I mean, you, you know you know your audience. So. <laughs> Good. Well, I'll tell you what. I I'm um, if I went to see the police, for example, and they didn't play Roxanne, I'd be pissed yeah. off. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. even if it uh, even if it's an old song that dates back nineteen what seventy nine. Right. And even if they didn't like it, uh, even whatever. Okay. If if I went to see that band and they didn't play Message in a Bottle, or right. Roxanne, I'd be pissed off. So I put myself in my audience's shoes. You know, right. it's the same with them. So we yeah. give them what they want. Right, absolutely. And uh, one last question. Uh, I mentioned uh, Walk Away earlier. What was kind of like the story behind that? Was that kind of like a, like a personal song? Um, yes and no. Um, as you as you probably know, the song is um, is about an ordinary work day. Right. With an ordinary people, uh, ordinary person that goes to work, and everything goes wrong, right? Yep. <laughs> and before I joined Men Without Hats, that's more or less what I was doing. I was uh, a salesman in a motorcycle shop, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I went to work every morning. And uh, sometimes I had a good day, and sometimes I had a bad day. So I knew exactly how people who uh, do nine to five all day feel like. You know, I know what they feel like. I know because I've been there. I've done that. And uh, and I just thought it was an interesting thing to give it a spin, to give it a you know this this kind of mood where you'd say to yourself, if I could just let all this go and 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 dream of of, of something better, uh, you know, and and a lot of people do that. They just pause and they dream. Uh, they just dream about something better, and that makes them feel better right there, you know. And so the song was about that. I just wanted to give people who work all day a break. You know, just think yeah. about it. Imagine, imagine yourself, uh, you know, taking a break from work and just reflecting on what your life could be. Even if you don't have the means to reach this goal, this dream, just thinking about it makes you feel better. So that was, that's exactly what that song is about. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I really appreciate a few minutes today. And thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure, sir. And a special thanks to Jean-Marc for joining me today. Go check out the band's website, theboxband.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at thefirstnoel19. Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud. It's also on Podbean. And go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your Living My Youth merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, phone cases, onesies, whatever, it's there. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.